You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday edition of Locked On Indians, brought to you by Ohio vs. Everyone. Ohio vs. Everyone is the fantastic new site that is exactly what it says. It is all Ohio sports, all the time, anything you could uh, want Ohio-based. Go check out the Indian site run by Matt. Really great guy, really great information. Today's show, we're going to do a little bit of history at the start. We'll talk about the one minor trade, and we will preview the St. Louis Cardinals series that is coming up. So I want to talk about history because everything that is going on in the world right now, and I think if you're a Cleveland Indians fan, uh, the Indians' success as a franchise has really been kind of built around uh, social change, and the Indians as an organization uh, have one of the richest progressive histories of any organization. Uh, they jumped, you know, two feet forward into integration. They had first African-American player in the American League and Larry Doby, the first African-American manager and Frank Robinson. But I was looking at the Indians' history today, and it's kind of interesting. So as a team, the Indians, as the Blues, debuted in 1901, and they went to the Broncos before becoming the Naps. Even though Nap Lajoie was a great player, we talked about him in the historical series, they only finished second in 1908, and other than that, they never had a second-place finish until 1918. So the eights are good for Cleveland is what we're seeing. Uh, and then in 1920, they finally win, uh, get into the playoffs, and they win the World Series. Because, again, this is where one team advances, so you had to get past those dreaded Yankees. They have a second-place finish in 21, 26. Let's look at uh, 28 was not a good year for them. And it's just kind of the also-ran team. Uh, 40 and 30, 40, they finished second, just a game back. That's a pretty good year for them. But they're struggling to even maintain that. They're fourth, fourth, third the next few years. Then all of a sudden they're first and they win the World Series in 48. You know, I talked about those magic eight years. Then they're third, they're fourth, and they're second, 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 first, second, second. It might be the best run of Indians baseball in the history of the organization. They lose the World Series in 54, but from 51 through 56, uh, in a modern day system, they would win the, uh, they'd been in the postseason every year. What happened? Well, integration happened. You know, the Indians jumped, as I said, two feet forward into integration, um, adding players like Satchel Page, adding, you know, the aforementioned Larry Doby, and you know, there, there's additional guys beyond them. Those are the ones that always come to mind for me. Let me pull up some of those teams, and I'm sure, I'm trying to think of the big first baseman we mentioned, uh, Luke Easter. Right there, he is. He was on the uh, '51 team. It was just the dominant force for them as well. And that was a big part of what made them such a, a good team and had that just fantastic run is they, like I said, they jumped right into integration and built those really strong squads for themselves. And then when the rest of the league integrated, they didn't find any continued success until the 90s. So if you get rid of that period where the Indians integrated, they had 1918, where from 19... 18 to 1921, they finished first or second every year and did win a World Series. But other than that, the, you know, the integration-led era is the only other time that the Indians really found success until the 90s. And then, you know, the period there now, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy in the other regard where you're looking at a team that has, 
you know, 120 odd seasons. And in those 120 odd seasons, there's been, you know, essentially there was the 1918-1920 era, uh, there's the 48-54 to 54 era, there's the 90s era, and there's now. Um, 2007 almost looks like an aberration compared to a lot of the years around it, fourth and third. So this current uh, run they've had, which really started in 2013, is the longest run of success this organization has seen. We'll see what happens uh, in 2020 if this can continue on, but uh, it's certainly interesting to look at. And I think, again, if you're an Indians fan and we look at everything that's happening in the world, um, and I know some people say they need to stick to baseball. I did a big round table today that I'll eventually post um, with a bunch of the other locked on writers. And I mentioned this on there as well. And I just think, you know, if you are from Cleveland, then you should be proud of the cultural history of, um, you know, integration, positive movement. Cleveland was the first major U.S. city to have an African-American mayor. And that was in, with Carl Stokes, uh, with Marion Montley and why am I blanking? Uh, Bill Willis. Those were uh, Paul Brown signed both those players. They're part of the reintegration of the NFL. We already talked about the Indians, where they had the first African-American manager and the first African-American player to play in the big leagues. And Larry Doby's story gets overlooked, but he's a guy who signed like July 3rd or maybe it was June 3rd and was in the majors by June 5th. He didn't get the time in the minors to adjust or anything like that. He got thrown right into the into the swirling uh, you know, ball of hate that it was for a player like him at that time. And it is a hard time right now. There's so much going on. And I just wanted to, I guess, spend some time to focus on why, you know, it, and on top of that, I mean, you want to talk about just Cleveland. I mean, Jesse Owens, born in Alabama, his family migrated to Cleveland. And you think about some of the things that uh, he, he showed and did in his life. It's a city with a rich history of African-American sports, um, cultural moments, and you know, I just wanted to honor that. I wanted to take that time and honor that and honor some of the things that uh, the city of Cleveland has done. Uh, you know, this is a sports podcast, so I wanted to try to integrate and honor that while saying I think it's important for everyone to keep talking. Um, I hate victim blaming in any form. That really bothers me when I see that going on. And, you know, just be accepting and open. Uh, if you enter any conversation with your mind closed off, you're never going to gain anything from that. So... I always just say talk and, um, you know, don't be, I don't want to say don't be polite anymore, but I also think we're kind of at the point in time in the world where see something, say something, you know, you see that at every airport, that's got to be life in general. We can't just sit back and accept um, racism when we see it or things of the like. So that's, it's kind of my statement. That's where I am on things. I also just, again, want to say, it's a special thing to be a Cleveland Indians fan. It's a special thing to be from Northeastern Ohio. It's a special thing to be a Cleveland sports fan because of the large impact that Cleveland has had. It may not always get the attention it deserves, but the historical impact of what Cleveland has done as a greater uh, situation is something that should not be forgotten. Our sponsor today is Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is a place you can go to find the parts and pieces you need for your car. It is a one-stop shop, everything you'll need. They cut out the overhead by having a central location that stores all of their pieces and then sending those out to you. So they're going to have all that extra savings, which they pass on to you, the consumer. So right now, or whenever it is you need a part for your car, you're going to go to rockauto.com, 
And there'll be a little box. How did you hear about us? Right? Locked on. Locked on MLB. Locked on Indians. Just make sure you're writing locked on. And that lets them know that their advertising dollars are worth it. So next time you have a car problem, go check out Rock Auto and see if they can help you save money. Ohioverse Everyone is a brand new site that has a lot of great writers. The Indians writer in particular, Matt Bretz, is a guy I've known for years on uh, Twitter, talked with. He's a knows Indians history as well as anyone out there, has some interesting takes. We don't always agree, and I think that's kind of the great thing with a lot of the Indians Twitter, is we can have our points where we disagree, but we can always end up coming together in a very civil way with, uh, with disagreements. But Matt knows his stuff. He is definitely worth checking out. And there's so many other great writers on there for any site, any team in Ohio you like. There is a writer at Ohio vs. Everyone who's going to be writing about them, doing in-depth articles, and giving you the information that you want to find on your favorite teams in Ohio. So go check out Ohio vs. Everyone. That's Ohio vs. Everyone. And find this new great site. Bookmark it. Check it out daily. You want to check out Ohio vs. Everyone because it's a fantastic place to continue following and getting even more information about your Cleveland Indians. So we had a trade today, and I promised we'd talk about that. And it's an interesting one because I don't quite get it. And that was the Rays getting Brett Phillips from the Royals for Lucius Fox. Go ahead and make your Batman jokes. I've been hearing about those since Lucius Fox signed with the Giants way back in 2015. Every time his name comes up, so do those jokes. And Kevin Kiermeyer has been hurt. And a lot of this kind of points to that injury and that the uh, Rays are looking maybe long-term for a center fielder where they care about defense. Uh, Kiermaier has been a defensive specialist, but offensively, he's been below average. And what's interesting is while uh, Brett Phillips has some highlight plays, you go over and look at Baseball Savant, he's been closer to an average defender. He can cover three outfield spots. And the guy's a fantastic athlete, but his numbers have never translated to the big leagues in spite of being a big-time prospect. And whenever anyone gets excited about Drew Waiters, go look at Brett Phillips, because this is what can happen. Phillips had such a high K rate, he's just never been able to make enough contact. The power is there, the speed is there, the tools are there, but he is a guy who's on his uh, third team, no, fourth team uh, already, while only being in his early 20s. What is his exact age? Um, 26. In spite, you know, sprint speed, 95th in 2020 right now. One of the fastest guys in baseball on his fourth team because the tools are there and teams keep trying, but he just he can't make enough contact to make it work for him. So that's just the the, the thing with Phillips. Uh, the Rays will keep trying. They keep adding as many outfielders as possible. And, uh, you know, I joked on Twitter, I don't get this trade. But at the same time, since I don't understand, and I think the Rays did poorly, that Brett Phillips will win the MVP in 2022. Uh, Lucius Fox is, you know, his prospect star has definitely faded from when he signed, where he was like the number two player in that class. And I think that was the Vladdy Jr. class. I'm trying to think who else was in that one. And he went from the Giants, I believe it was in the Evan Longoria deal, which means he would have came over with Christian Arroyo. And he's been, you know, no, it was the Matt Moore deal is how uh, the Rays acquired him. Either way, he's been there. Uh, he is a borderline potential starting shortstop. But why I think he can be a potential starting shortstop, solid defender, above average, not necessarily plus, maybe plus. I've, you know, seen some different reports. Good eye at the plate. He walks a lot, but he might be almost too passive. And he can run really well. But if you have a shortstop who's an above average defender, can 
has plus speed and can work some counts and get on base at a decent pace. I mean, that's still a potential starter because we've seen how how teams are starving for shortstops. You know, Freddie Galvis keeps finding jobs. Jose Iglesias gets forgotten about and then signed and then turns into a top 20 starter every year. Shortstop's a hard position to fill, and I think Fox could potentially do that uh, for some team down the road. So that was our one deal. We are now up to, what, three trades of note so far as we head into Monday's trade deadline. Uh, If anything happens over the weekend, I will drop an emergency podcast. It might end up being one of those things where a, a weekend podcast counts for one of the week podcasts, but if any action does occur, we will jump in and there will be something to cover it. For you to download at a later point in time if you're not going to download over the weekend so let's talk about the cardinals they are 11 and 11 uh, missing some time due to covid and a 500 team why is that their offense has been pretty bad so far this year so let's just start there uh dylan carlson the big time prospect has struggled once he has come up colton wong is not doing so hot when you look at some of the advanced metrics he's bottom eight of the league and a lot of Categories. Yadier Molina is definitely starting to feel his age. Uh, the Omar Vizquel of shortstops will be interesting to see when his time comes, what happens with his Hall of Fame uh, potential. Harrison Bader, I feel like he just gets worse almost every year offensively. I don't know what's happening there. Dexter Fowler is struggling. Uh, you know, Someone like Tommy Edmond, who last year came out and was fantastic for them is, is regressed kind of to mean he is he's been down there it's like even someone like him it's like bottom 10 percent in exit velocity they're just not hitting the ball hard as a team uh paul goldsmith has been good for them and their best hitter by far this year if you're not paying attention is brad miller brad miller is in the top one percent of the league and uh weighted on base average he is top nine percent of the league in barrel percentage top six percent in hard hit percentage He's top 1% in the league in expected batting average, top 3% in expected slugging, and top 1% in the league in expected weighted on-base average. He is killing the ball. Brad Miller is one of the best hitters in the National League. If there was an All-Star game this year, Brad Miller would be in contention to make an All-Star team. If you haven't been paying attention to the Cardinals, you may not have realized that. He has been such a saving grace for this Cardinals team in the early going. And I still think that when the Indians cut him a year ago, it was a mistake. I, I don't know if they would have had him now to help them as a team. But he's certainly better than Mike Freeman. I mean, that was always the thing. He was always better than Mike Freeman. But what has kept the Cardinals going is their pitching. You go through and you look, Adam Wainwright's pitching quite well again for them. Uh, a few years with some up-and-down performance, he's been great for them this year. Dakota Hudson is, again, probably uh, a bit more lucky than good, but he's uh, being effective in spite of that. Uh, Jack Flattery is awesome. He's just an amazing pitcher. Tyler Webb has been uh, a solid guy for them as well. And then you look at some of these guys in their bullpen, like John Gant, Austin Gomber, uh, Jake Woodford. And these guys are all, you look at some of the stat cast numbers, Gant and Gomber both have a a 0% barreled, as did Andrew Miller before he went on the DL. We won't see him in Cleveland, and he was struggling again. Uh, with some things this year, but there was also some signs that he was more unlucky than bad. So uh, it's a good thing for the Indians. They won't face Andrew Miller, but I'm always sad to see Miller uh, struggle because of everything he meant to those Indians teams. So yeah, when you look at this Cardinals team, a lot of offensive struggles, but they've got okay starting pitching. Uh, After Flattery and Wainwright, it starts to get a bit weak, but the bullpen is just 
really good. They have a strong combination. They have a lot of players there. Once they get to that pen, they're in great shape. So the important thing is to do the damage before they can get to the pen. And then you might have a chance. Uh, they've still got three, four players on the COVID list. I'm sorry, five players, uh, six players. Cody Whitley, Ryan Hisley, Carlos Martinez. That's a big loss for them as a team. Lane Thomas, uh, Rongo Rivello, and Austin Dean. Matt Wieters is hurt with a toe contusion. Uh, Miles Mikolas uh, is a strained forearm. He's been down for almost a month with that. I think he's not coming back this year. Uh, so it's they've also been beat up a bit. As we mentioned, they called up top prospect Dylan Carlson. Uh, there are other top prospects. Matthew Libator, who they got in the trade in the offseason. Zach Thompson, who was a first-round pick two years ago. Uh, they took Jordan Walker in the first round this year, and Nolan Gorman, who was a first-round pick uh, the year before Zach Thompson was. So they, they've been self-built with a lot of those players and high rankings. And again, it's just it's the offense that's letting them down. They are kind of a carbon copy of the Indians, but worse. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt and Brad Miller, again, have been effective, but they have not had anyone really outside of those two who have managed to maintain effectiveness. If you go and you look at the Fangraphs ranking, 113 is the highest, and that's Paul Goldschmidt. So let's do the uh, handy-dandy, patented, level-by-level uh, level compare. Let's, let's talk about who's got the advantage. So starting at catcher, Roberto Perez versus Yadier Molina, you're looking at about the same level of offensive performance, but Roberto Perez is the better defender right now. There was a time where Yadi would have been better, I, I'm pretty sure at peak, but right now uh, Perez is the better defender, which gives the Indians an advantage of catcher. Moving to first base, Paul Goldschmidt versus Carlos Santana. Goldschmidt's been a really effective performer this year, so is Carlos Santana. Uh, I'd be curious, I need to now pull up and see Goldschmidt's defense, but I did that after realizing I'm having some internet issues. I think I'm probably, uh, defensively, oh no, that's wrong here. Defensively, he's a, a negative value according to fan graphs. Um, but Goldschmidt's playing really well. I, he's playing better than Santana. I think you have to give the advantage to the uh, St. Louis Cardinals at that position. Moving on, we're even heading into second base. Colton Wong's been pretty terrible. Cesar Hernandez has been getting better and better. Advantage Indians, moving to shortstop. Paul DeJong has always been a solid defender, not much with the bat. The bat has been a little bit even less effective this year than typical advantage Indians. Moving to third base, uh, their third baseman is not Matt Carpenter anymore. It's been Brad Miller versus Jose Ramirez. Talked about Brad Miller's been really good, but I'm going to give the advantage to the Indians uh, in this situation. So that gives them a 3 nothing advantage. Let's head to the outfield. Left field, Tommy Edelman has had some regression, but I'm still going to take him over what the Indians are rolling out there. So that gives the Indians a two-point advantage now. So let's move to center field. Delano DeShields has been playing that for the Indians. Uh, offensively, he's been a mess. He's more of a speed defensive guy. The Cardinals have Harrison Bader, who has played the majority of the games for them in center field. Wow, two guys all glove, no hit. I think Bader is probably the better defender between the two of them, so I guess advantage Cardinals. Uh, maybe it's a push. We're going to call it a push. I don't think you can really give an advantage to either side because both those guys have not done anything with the bat. So let's move to right field. For the Indians, it's uh, Naquin has had the most starts this week and Dexter Fowler at the other side of things. I mean, look at Naquin's stats. 
He's second on the team in OPS. He's doing a lot of things well. Uh, Dexter Fowler is not advantage Indians. Uh, so that gives them a three-spotter. And DH, which comes down to Matt Carpenter, who has really struggled over the last two years, and Fran Mil Reyes, who is the highest OPS on the Indians, advantage Indians. Indians have a five-spot lead uh, with the positions. That's, that's how rough the Cardinals' offense has been. Let's get into the starters, specifically if things line up correctly. Daniel Ponce de Leon versus Tristan McKenzie. I can't wait to see that game personally. Um, see another shot and actually sit down and, and watch uh, McKenzie go. Saturday, uh, Flattery versus Carrasco. Carrasco has been badly scuffling, so that's a clear advantage to the Cardinals. And Sunday with Adam Wainwright versus Aaron Savali. You know, Wainwright's been good. I think Savali has probably been better this year when you get down to it. If I just look at some base numbers, I am curious to see how high Savali ranks. Yeah. So I think you go, the Indians should have the advantage in two of those games and a massive disadvantage in the middle one. Uh, Ponce de Leon has been okay this year for the Cardinals, but is and he, he's a replacement-level starter. Uh, that's not the guy you want out there for them. When you look at the overall staff, Flattery is fantastic. Wainwright's been good. Uh, Hudson keeps overcoming. Uh, let's see who's third on this team and starts. Is it Kim has been uh, okay for them? And then Oviedo and Ponce de Leon are kind of back-end guys. And you compare that against the Indians in spite of Crasco's struggles. Clevenger came back and pitched well this week. We didn't spend a lot of time or any time on that game, but Clevenger came back and was fine. Uh, Bieber's been the best pitcher in baseball by a significant margin. Savali has been, throughout the season, a top-20 pitcher. Carrasco is looking more like a back-end guy. We'll have to see. McKenzie had that just amazing start. Plesak's still stuck in the minors, and he was off to you know one of the best 10 starts in the league to start the year. And the bullpen, I don't know how it's doing it, but it's doing it. Uh, Hand has been really effective and made me look incredibly dumb. Karen Chalk has been maybe the best reliever in baseball. Oliver Perez... I thought he would struggle mightily with this new rule. He'd been a loogie for so much of his career. He's finding ways to be effective. Uh, rolling out so many uh, players. I mean, Wetgren has continued with his marginal stuff to be able to, to hit the spots and play well. Phil Matten went from barely used to getting multiple appearances and being highly effective over the past few weeks. Cam Hill continues to pitch well. It's a bullpen that's trending upwards. Now, the Cardinals' bullpen is better. Again, this is one of the best bullpens in baseball, in my opinion. When you look at just, you know, the way Gant is pitched, the way Genesis Cabrera has, you know, he's got some interesting stuff. Gomber's been really effective. Woodford's been effective. Uh, Alex Reyes is a big flamethrower. It's a team that has more effective overall pieces. But it's a lot closer than it really ever should have been because I didn't expect the Indians' bullpen to be as good as it has been. So, uh, advantage Cardinals' pen. Overall advantage, Indians for starters. Advantage during this series, Indians as well. Overall advantage, it's a significant advantage for the Indians. They should take two out of three this weekend. If they don't take two out of three, um, unless Tristan McKenzie implodes, then, then kind of all bets are off. Uh, if he is nowhere near as good as he was. That can happen with rookie pitchers. We will see. But he is facing another team that's, uh, you know, perfect setup for McKenzie, facing a Detroit team that's been had been largely toothless heading into that series and now facing a Cardinals team that struggled all year with offense. 
it sets up well for him uh, as long as he is just at least a slightly above league average pitcher. The Indians should have an advantage in that game. Uh, Flattery's just really good, so Saturday is the one that uh, I expect them to lose. But a two out of three for them this weekend. We'll see if I'm right or wrong. Uh, we'll be back on Monday. See if a trade's in the works, if any trades do occur. Like I said, I will drop a podcast during the weekend to discuss. And then, God, I mean, I have to work Tuesday, people. <laughs> I don't know if I can stay up to the deadline. Uh, well, wait, it's it's no longer a nighttime deadline. We'll figure something out. I will get a podcast out quickly on Monday as well. I'll do the Tuesday podcast early on Monday uh, if anything happens that day. But, you know, pay attention. I don't know why I thought it was a midnight deadline. It hasn't been that way since I was, like, a child. But, uh pay attention to your feed refresh if anything happens i will get something down the pipe to talk about it and it will be out with all the information and probably more than all the information you can want on any prospective deal the indians do make deadline we've got what you know this will drop friday morning so of course a trade we know how these work right the minute i upload this podcast it's going to be close to 11 o'clock my time which is midnight eastern so a trade will happen at about twelve ten this evening because that is what happens with these podcasts i'm surprised one hasn't happened in the middle much like the mookie betts deal that's been what's happened this year i was recording one when the kluber deal happened so uh yeah this is really the last chance for that to happen for a while so i will we'll either have a boring monday uh well the monday podcast was recorded sunday so sunday's that recording you know maybe it will be a boring monday as we prepare for the deadline and then Tuesday's podcast, no matter what, should have some degree of interest in it, as even if the Indians decide to sit on the sidelines, I think we'll see some deals go on. It might be harder to make those bigger trades, but I, there's no way nothing is going to happen. I'm realizing now we didn't talk about the Tejon Walker deal, the other deal of the day. Um, good back-end starter. We don't know what Toronto's getting for him yet, but uh, one of the last guys to sign, he was on one of my last all-free agent teams, was a good signing by the Mariners. They're going to get something for nothing. It was a very low investment, and that's always a great turn when they'll end up getting some value for that. So that is my last bit of analysis. Long podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show today. I hope you enjoyed the show all week. As remember, as always, you can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. Uh, like I said, if anything happens, refresh your feed. You'll find my first takes on Twitter, and then from there you'll find the rest of my twi- takes uh, here on the podcast. So if something dra- happens... Uh, I don't plan to really do much uh, outside or away from my computer this weekend, so a podcast will surely follow within the hour after a trade is announced. So keep that in mind. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. And as always, go Tribe.